On August 28, 1984, in Austria, 18-year-old Elizabeth Fritzel went missing. Her family was frantic, and her father, Josef Fritzel, filed a missing persons report. But the cops told him that Elizabeth was 18. She could run away if she wanted to. Josef told the police that it was likely Elizabeth had run away to join a cult. Then a few weeks later, a letter arrived from Elizabeth saying just that, that she was tired of living at home, had run away, and joined a cult. And she said she was very happy where she was and didn't want her family to look for her. But Elizabeth had not run away. And she had not joined a cult. In fact, she was just a few feet below the family home. In the cellar where she was held captive for 24 years by none other than her own father. This is the story of Josef Fritzl and how he held captive and tortured his own daughter, Elizabeth Fritzl. Welcome to the Cleaning and Crime podcast. My name is Elise, and my podcast is called What It Is because I have a weekly series on YouTube where I post a time-lapse video of me cleaning my house, while at the same time I tell you a true crime story, because I love to listen to true crime while I clean. But some people find the cleaning footage too distracting, or they just prefer to listen to their true crime and not watch it. So, if that's you you're in the right place. Trigger warning, this is a true crime podcast, so be sure to check the show notes on this episode for specific trigger warnings. And as always, listener discretion is advised. Oh, let's get into today's story. All right, this case is huge. It spans many, many years. So this episode's going to be a bit longer than my usual cleaning and crime episodes. I don't love to do two-parters, so we're just going to do it. So because this is a longer episode, if you're watching the cleaning and crime video version, you're going to get extra cleaning footage. So I cleaned our regular house that you've seen a million times, and I also cleaned the cabin. We had some friends come to visit, so I got it all cleaned up with fresh sheets and did the dusting and the vacuuming and all that at the cabin to get it ready for our friends. So this is the first time you're going to see the cabin, which is super fun. So I'm going to start with the regular house, and then we'll switch to the cabin at the end. But on the crime front... The Josef Fritzl case. This has been highly requested. Also, I heard people say Joseph, but I'm going to say Josef because it's more fun. And with a case like this, I have to find fun in any little nook and cranny I can. So this is a big, huge, pretty famous story. And a lot of people have told it in a lot of different ways. So I'm just going to tell it my way. And my way is to go all the way back to Josef Fritzl's grandparents. Yes, I'm going that far back because I need to try and understand how we got here. I'm not going to understand how we got here, but I have to try. I'm also including timestamps in my YouTube description box. So if you're one of those people that hates the long, elaborate backstory of the bad guy, I totally get it. You can skip ahead. But for me, I find it fascinating and important to talk about. So let's jump in. So looking way back to Josef Fritzl's grandparents in Austria, Josef's grandma was not actually his blood grandma. So Anna Fritzl was her name, and she married a rich mill owner. But as I'm sure you're expecting me to say, he was a total dick. And all he wanted was for Anna to provide him a whole bunch of kids. But unfortunately, after much trying, Anna was unable to get pregnant. And that pissed off the rich mill owner. So he started beating her because I guess he thought it was all her fault that he didn't have any children. Barf. So this mill owner didn't want people in town to think that he didn't have the juice to have kids. So he began regularly raping his servants and maids. And lo and behold, eventually one of them became pregnant. Then as soon as that maid had a baby, he took the baby and kicked the maid out and fired her and gave the baby to his wife, Anna, to raise as her own. And he did that two more times after that with different maids. So Anna was stuck at home with a physically and emotionally abusive husband and then three kids that were not hers that she was forced to raise as though they were her own. And the mill owner just hung around abusing Anna and the three children, two daughters and one son. Now, the oldest daughter was named Maria. And she decided the only way to escape this situation was to get married to some dude. But when Maria did get married, she also was unable to get pregnant. And so her new husband just kicked her out, divorced her, and sent her back home to her father, the mill owner. What's with these guys? So Anna and the three kids suffered under this guy's roof until the 1930s, when Anna inherited her Fritzl family home in Amstetten. And she thought this was the perfect opportunity to escape this guy. So she divorced the mill owner and took her three kids to her family home at number 40, Yibstrasse. Anna and the oldest daughter, Maria, decided that the best way to make money was to rent out the extra rooms in the house. And things were going well, but Maria, the oldest daughter, 
really wanted to prove that she wasn't barren. It was still haunting her that her husband divorced her and she was unable to provide him children. So she wanted to prove to the world that she could do just that. So she was on a mission and she quickly began a sexual relationship with one of the tenants that was renting out a room in their house. This guy's name was Yosef and Maria, I guess, made it very clear to him from the start, like, hey, I want to be on you, but I'm only doing this to get pregnant. This isn't about you. I'm using you for your seed. And I guess Yosef was like, sounds good to me. And soon Maria was pregnant with a baby boy. And she decided to name the baby after her lover, Yosef, but then gave the baby her mom, Anna's maiden name, Fritzel. And with that, in 1935, Yosef Fritzel came into this world. I wish he hadn't. Now, Maria wasn't even really excited to be a mom. And she called Yosef her alibi baby. She just wanted to prove to her neighbors that she wasn't barren. Like, look, I did it. So that was the only reason she had Yosef. And she was described as a very loveless mother. When Yosef was three in 1938, the Nazis showed up in Amstetten. And 99.7% of Austrians voted to join the Third Reich. But Maria was in that 0.3% that wasn't into it. Yosef's father, Yosef, joined the German army and left to go fight on the Eastern Front. And then he was taken prisoner by the Russians. So he gone. Now, number 40, Yipstrasse, was in Amstetten. I'm doing my best with these names. <laughs> and Amstetten was a really important railway junction between Germany and Italy. And so Amstetten became a super hot spot to bomb. And it was bombed constantly. And in the first six months, Amstetten was bombed about 12,000 times. And so everybody in town was pretty used to hearing the bomb sirens constantly and having to run all the time to a bomb shelter or a bunker wherever they could find one. But not Maria. Maria was a stubborn one. And she would hear the sirens going off and she'd be like, you can't make me leave my house. And she would just stay in her kitchen despite sirens going off and bombs falling around her. Completely unbothered by the bombs and completely unbothered by her son screaming and crying for his life. And most of the time, little Yosef had to go find his way to a bunker by himself. Now, during the war, anyone that owned a home was required by law to give up the extra rooms in their house for refugees that needed a place to stay. But Maria was obsessed with her home and she was not having it and didn't want all these people coming in and out. So she refused to let anybody come in to stay. So Maria was arrested and sent to a concentration camp in Upper Austria. And then little Josef Fritzl was sent to an orphanage and he was told that his mother was dead. Oof. Now, believe it or not, Maria survived. And in 1945, the U.S. liberated the concentration camp that Maria was at and she was sent home. And Maria and little Yosef were reunited, which was a total trip because Yosef for all these years thought his mother was dead. And then all of a sudden, here she was. Then in 1948, Yosef's father, Yosef, was released from his Russian prison and he returned home to Maria and little Yosef. But Maria shunned him because he joined the German army and she kicked him out of the house and little Yosef never saw his father again. Now, Maria had been through it. And she was already not super into Yosef. And then after all of the trauma she went through at the concentration camp, she was super not into him. So now that she was back, she was even less maternal. And now she was really abusive. A lot of days she completely ignored her son. And when she didn't ignore him, she was kicking the crap out of him. One time she kicked him in the face repeatedly until he lost consciousness and she left him lying on the kitchen floor in a pool of blood. Great parenting. She also enjoyed forcing Yosef to sleep outside in the cold, or sometimes she tied him up so that she wouldn't have to deal with him. And for extra punishments, she would force Yosef to kneel on a sharp piece of wood for hours. So this is all just the makings of an incredible human being. But you know, it's weird. Like after Maria would punish Yosef, she would just welcome him back into her open arms and just comfort him and show him a ton of affection. On top of all that, Maria was a devout Catholic and she would take Yosef to church with her where she would whisper to him that he was a criminal that needed to be watched and that she could see Satan in his eyes. After the war was over, Austria was split up and Upper Austria was under the control of the US, the UK, and France. And then Lower Austria was under Soviet control. And where Yosef and Maria lived was under Soviet control. And Lower Austria at the time was pretty shitty living conditions and people were starving. Whereas Upper Austria was getting American food, American cigarettes, and freaking chocolate. In 1947, one of the schools in Amstetten reopened and Yosef began his education at age 12. Now he was very smart and he was excelling in school. And he also got taller and stronger. So soon Maria lost the physical control she had over Yosef. And one day when Yosef was about 15, he fought back against Maria's beatings and punched her in the face. And that day, the dynamic shifted. Maria was no longer in control of Yosef. Yosef was in control. Shortly after that dynamic shifted, Yosef also began peeping. He learned all of his neighbor's schedules. He knew where all the pretty girls lived. He would watch them undress through their windows, watch young couples doing it through the windows. 
big red flag. And he also began following young women into the secluded woods and exposing himself. Meanwhile, he was doing great in school and he went on to further his education, which wasn't very common at the time in his area, which he kept a secret from Maria and secretly enrolled in a two-year engineering program. In 1951, Josef left Maria's and moved to Linz in Upper Austria. And that was fancy Austria. And in 1956, Yosef got a super sweet job with a metal engineering firm. And so his professional life was banging. He was very successful and making great money. But he felt that his personal life was not banging. And he was comparing himself to his coworkers and friends who were all in their 20s and were already married and starting to have children. And he was 19 and he had never even kissed a girl. But then Yosef got invited to a party by a coworker where he met 16-year-old Rose Marie. They danced, they kissed, and that was that. And a few months later, they were married. It was the 50s. And the couple moved together to number 40 Yipstrasse in Amstaden. And while Rose Marie was living at number 40 Yipstrasse, during the week, Josef would go up to Linz in Upper Austria and stay with Rose Marie's parents so he can go to work. Then he would come home on the weekends and see his wife. In June 1957, Rose Marie gave birth to their first child, a baby girl. And then three years later, she gave birth to another baby girl. Five years later, in 1963, she had a baby boy. By this point, Yosef was super successful in his work. And the company that he worked for had gotten huge. And they promoted Yosef, and they sent him to go oversee a project in Ghana for 18 months. So he just ditched his family and went to Ghana for a year and a half. And he did not visit. He did not even call or write a letter to his family. He just stayed in Ghana and hit all the brothels. And I guess he figured he was working and making a bunch of money and that's all he needed to do for his family to love and respect him. But then when he came home after 18 months of no freaking contact, his wife was pissy and his children didn't remember him and they were scared of him and he was pissed. And this is when Yosef began taking after his mother and his grandfather before him and started beating the crap out of his family. Because, you know, that's how it works. If you want your family to love you, you have to beat the crap out of them. <laughs> Obviously. Shortly after Yosef's return, Rosemarie was pregnant with baby number four and gave birth to Elizabeth Fritzel in 1966. So they've got four kids and Rosemarie basically threw herself just into her children. And she didn't have much of a real healthy relationship with Yosef. He was still working in Linz during the week and living with Rosemarie's parents. So most of the time she was at home alone at number 40 Yipstrasse with the kids. And then on the weekends, Yosef would come home and scream at everybody and beat everybody. Rosemarie started to think that maybe Yosef was having an affair when he was up in Linz. And she was kind of close, but it was not an affair. Yosef, while up in Linz, had gone back to his deviant ways that he had when he was a teenager. He was peeping. He was following women, exposing himself to women. And one woman in Linz reported Yosef to the police for whipping his dongle out. And the cops tracked Yosef down and gave him a warning. Don't pull your dongle out. The warning didn't work, though. And Yosef escalated and attempted to rape a woman. She reported him to the cops. And the cops, again, gave him a warning. Don't attack people with your dongle, Yosef. In 1967, Yosef was 32, and for some reason he zeroed in on a local nurse in Linz, and he started stalking her until he figured out where she lived, and then found out that she sleeps with her windows open. And one night, while the nurse's husband was working late, Yosef broke into her house and raped her at knife point while her little baby slept in a cot next to the bed. She survived the ordeal, and she called the cops, and the cops finally tracked Yosef down and arrested him, and he was sentenced to 18 months in prison. <laughs> It's a joke of a sentence. But, you know, it was Austria in the 60s, so. And Yosef made the front page of the paper, which read, Police expose family father as monstrous sex fiend. So now Rose Marie knows that her husband is a rapist, on top of being an abusive son of a bitch. But she didn't leave him, and she even went up and visited him in jail when he was locked up, and he served 12 months of the 18-month sentence. She just pretended it didn't happen. I honestly think, deep down, she was just really scared of him. Now, because Yosef got locked up, he lost his job in Linz. And after he got out, he moved in full-time with Rosemarie and the kids. In 1970, Yosef got a new job with a concrete company. And then him and Rosemarie had more babies, this time twins. In 1972, they had their seventh and final baby. So they have seven children. Yosef has a good job and lots of money. So he decided he needed to diversify. And he bought a super random 40-room hotel in Upper Austria that had a bar and a restaurant. And then on top of that purchase, he began renovating number 40 Yipstrasse. 
and he added an addition that would become apartments with nine flats so that he could rent them out. And he got permission to build a cellar underneath the home, which wasn't unusual at the time. Like everybody had a bunker or a cellar under their house. And Yosef did everything himself. I mean, he was an engineer and he had access to a shitload of concrete. So Yosef made Rosemary and the kids run the hotel because he didn't want to pay for employees. And it took Yosef four years to complete the apartment project. And over those four years, his abusiveness got worse. Even the children were begging Rosemary to leave Yosef, but she couldn't. She just raised the kids and ran the hotel and kept her head down. Then once the apartment project was done, Yosef informed Rosemary that he had built himself one entire floor in the apartment that was going to be all his own, his own private living quarters, and that no one was allowed to go into his private living quarters ever. Rosemary was like, shit, yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Fucking see ya. So number 40 Yipstrasse was home to Rosemary and the kids. The apartment block connected to it was for tenants, and that contained an entire floor just for Yosef. He's working at the concrete place, and then in Upper Austria, Rosemary and the kids are running the hotel. Got it? Okay. And in his spare time, Yosef kept building the cellar project. So Rosemary was pretty happy because if Yosef was busy working on his apartment crap, building his cellar, and busy working, there was no time to come home and beat everybody, you know? And the kids were happy about it too. They were just trying to grow up as quickly as possible so they could just move out. And then rapid fire, the three oldest kids grew up and moved out with four kids remaining at home and helping run the hotel. The oldest of which was Elizabeth, who was now 11 years old. Elizabeth was the quiet kid. Smack dab in the middle. And she learned to stay quiet because that pretty much made her invisible. But now that the three oldest were gone, Yosef zeroed in on Elizabeth. And he saw a lot of himself in her. And he viewed that as some sort of weird, special connection. So it's 1977, and Yosef began paying an unusual amount of attention to his 11-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. He was following her. He was spying on her. He demanded to know where she was at all times. And he began playing what he called practical jokes on Elizabeth. And by that, I mean he was sneaking pornographic magazines under her pillow. Really weird joke, dad. And you guessed it, it wasn't long before Yosef began sneaking into Elizabeth's bedroom at night, touching her inappropriately, and then he was doing disgusting things to himself in front of her as well. That escalated to every opportunity that he had to be alone with Elizabeth, he was touching her inappropriately, then he escalated to rape. And Yosef would tell Elizabeth that the police were idiots, and that if she went to the police, they wouldn't believe her anyway, so she better just keep everything a secret. And if she didn't, he'd have to kill her. And this is so awful, but it didn't matter how awful these attacks were on Elizabeth. Yosef said that it was an itch that he just couldn't seem to scratch. And that makes me want to hurl. And this abuse went on for years. Yosef had finished his apartment project and it was making great money. So he was just spending all of his free time working in his cellar and raping his daughter. Feeling confident that he had Elizabeth completely under his control, he sent her away to a gastronomy and tourism course because she had just finished up secondary school. And he sent her there because it would help out at the hotel. But like, he didn't really want to send Elizabeth away, but he also didn't want to pay for employees. So he needed to train up the kids. Elizabeth had no interest in the field, but she was happy to get away from her abusive father. So she went, and she was a teenager at this point. While she was there, she made friends with a girl named Brigitte, who also had a very tough home life, and they bonded over that. And after getting close with Brigitte, Elizabeth actually confided in her and told her everything that was going on at home. But after the course wrapped up, Elizabeth went back to her family and back to her abusive father, and the sexual abuse started right up again. But Elizabeth remained close with Brigitte, and they continued writing to each other. And over letters, they both decided, they were both fed up, and they decided to run away together to Vienna. Now, Yosef worked hard finishing his cellar project, and on the day he was like, wow, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty much done down here. Rosemarie came to him and informed him that 16-year-old Elizabeth had not returned home. She was missing. Yosef, big shock, was a total creeper and had been reading Elizabeth's mail for years. So it's likely that Yosef had read the letters between her and Brigitte. So he may have known Vienna was the goal, and he probably did because he sent his oldest son, Harold, to go to Vienna and look for Elizabeth. But after five days of looking, he didn't find her. So Yosef went to the police and filed a missing persons report. Then Elizabeth's picture was all over the papers with the caption, have you seen me? Meanwhile, 16-year-old Elizabeth was living it up with her friend Brigitte in Vienna, partying, drinking, smoking cigarettes, smoking pot. And they were staying with a friend of Brigitte 
streets in Vienna. And one particular party got too loud and they got a bunch of noise complaints and the cops crashed the party. And unfortunately for Elizabeth, the cops that showed up very diligently checked the identification of everyone at the party. And Elizabeth was discovered and Yosef was called to come pick her up. The freedom was over and Yosef and Elizabeth drove back to Amstetten in silence. After they got home, Yosef realized that if Elizabeth was brazen enough to run away, she probably had the balls to tell someone about the sexual abuse. So he didn't touch her after that for two years. So Elizabeth's feeling pretty great. Like she was thinking she defeated Yosef and he was going to leave her alone forever now. So she had a new sense of confidence. But for those two years, Yosef decided to keep tinkering with his cellar. It was a dark windowless crypt, but over those two years, he added fluorescent lighting to the many interconnecting rooms. He added locks to the doors that only Yosef had the keys for. And for some reason, he wasn't sure why yet, he decided to add two more rooms to the project. And he also added a small secret door hidden by a shelf on hinges that was in his office slash workshop. So if you moved that shelf and crawled through that doorway, you would have access to the basement project. And if anybody asked Yosef what the basement project even was, he would simply tell everyone, oh, it's a nuclear bunker. And everyone's like, oh, okay. Because it was the Cold War. It was Austria. Everybody had a nuclear bunker. Elizabeth kept her head down and planned her final escape from her father's home. And I mean, it was two years of him not touching her. So she really believed that her father had lost interest in her. He was busy working in the basement and she didn't give a shit what he was working on as long as he was away from her. Then when Elizabeth was 18, she informed Yosef that she would be leaving his house to go live with her older sister in Linz. Bye, bitch. But Yosef was enraged. He exploded. She had never seen him explode the way he exploded. Red in the face, swearing, screaming, accusing her of being a drug addict, rambling, barely coherent. But Elizabeth just stood there and she was just like, whatever you say, I'm fucking leaving. So, but about a week before she was supposed to move to Linz on August 29th, 1984, Yosef and Elizabeth were home alone. And Yosef asked Elizabeth for help carrying a super heavy door down into the cellar. Now, nobody had ever seen the cellar, so Elizabeth was pretty curious. So she helped Yosef carry this big door down into the cellar. Once they got the door taken care of, Yosef told her, actually, there is something I want to talk to you about. So sit down in my workshop. I got to grab something. I'll be right back and we'll talk. So she's sitting there waiting, thinking about how she's only got a few more days, just a few more days of living this nightmare with this nightmare father. But sadly, the nightmare was just beginning. And the next thing Elizabeth knew, a hand was reaching around her face and a chemical soaked rag was placed over her mouth and nose. And Elizabeth was out cold in seconds. When Elizabeth woke up, she was still dizzy from inhaling chloroform and she was in a dark, cold, damp room. It smelled like mildew. Her hands were chained behind her back. As her eyes adjusted, she saw a TV and VCR, a small toilet, a washing basin, and a small stove in the room with her. She was sitting on a king-size bed that had sheets and pillows, and she felt a ball gag around her neck. And she saw that there was a door at the end of the room that was still open, but she couldn't get up and get to it because she was chained. And the chain was connected to a metal bedpost that went down into the concrete ground. Then seemingly out of nowhere, Yosef was right next to her. And he was tightening her chains, not even looking at her, not speaking to her. She just froze and looked up at him. And he said, quote, the pitcher that goes to the well too often gets broken, end quote. And then he just left and left her there for 24 hours. And she just laid there realizing her own father had just freaking locked her in a cellar. And it wasn't a nuclear bomb shelter down there. It was a prison that he had spent years preparing for her. She didn't know why. She didn't know really what he was doing or what his plan was. Or how long she was going to be trapped down there. Or what was about to happen. During those 24 hours, Yosef reported Elizabeth missing to the police and the police told him, well, there's nothing we can do. She's 18. She can run away if she wants to. And he told the police that he was very concerned that his daughter Elizabeth had run away to join a cult. So the police told him, hey, man, we'll keep an eye out. But they didn't really investigate any further. And that sucks because if they had even looked for a second into Yosef and Elizabeth, they would have seen that she had already run away once and they would have seen that Yosef went to jail for rape 15 years ago. But the police just took Yosef's word for it that Elizabeth had joined a cult. And they were like, yep, that happens sometimes. Just let us know if she turns up. But you can't totally blame the police because the rape sentence that Yosef had gotten was 15 years prior. And at the time in Austria, 15 years after a rape sentence, your record is expunged. 
So the newspapers out there with articles talking about how Yosef was a monstrous sex fiend were still out there, but the rape sentence just so happened to disappear at the same time that Elizabeth turned 18. So exactly when he kidnapped Elizabeth, the rape sentence was expunged and Elizabeth turned 18 so the police wouldn't give a shit and wouldn't go looking for her. Coincidence? Some believe he planned it that way. Like he didn't touch Elizabeth for those two years between 16 and 18. And he didn't kidnap her until after she was 18 and after his record was gone. I mean, day two, Yosef went down to the cellar into Elizabeth's cell and brought a large bowl in case she needed to answer the call of nature. I don't know what he thought she'd been doing for the past day. There was a toilet, but she couldn't get to it because she was chained up. Probably would have been nice to have that bowl yesterday, asshole. Then he unchained Elizabeth and replaced that chain with an even bigger chain. But this one wrapped around her waist. Then he slapped her across the face. And he hit her and he punched her and he kicked her repeatedly. And the beating went on for about 40 minutes. And he told her, nobody can hear you scream and you can't get out of here. Then he raped her. Then he left her in the cellar to go about his day. And then later that same day, he came back again and raped her for a second time that day. And both attacks lasted for about four hours. And both times, he didn't say a fucking word to her. And that happened every day for months and months twice daily attacks. And he would tell her, quote, if you do not do as I say, your treatment will get worse and you will not escape from this cellar anyway, end quote. She fought him every single time he showed up. But she was chained up and she was malnourished and she was trapped. So Yosef would spend hours down there in that cellar and he would eat breakfast and dinner with his upstairs family like nothing was going on down in the nightmare cellar. And he would sit there eating dinner having conversations with Rosemarie about how they just couldn't believe that Elizabeth would run away like this. I just can't believe that she would run off and join a cult. And Rosemarie brought up Elizabeth every day at dinner for a month. And Yosef was like, well, I have to do something to get her to stop bringing it up. And then a letter shows up, which Yosef forced Elizabeth to write. And then he drove 100 miles away to drop it off in a mailbox so that he wouldn't be suspected. And the letter confirmed that indeed Elizabeth had run away to join a cult and that she was very happy and that she didn't want her family to look for her. Yosef showed the letter to Rosemarie and to the police. And the police just said, well, there's your proof. You were right, Yosef. Mm -hmm. I seriously can't wrap my head around this shit. Why did you guys make me cover this case? Not long into Elizabeth's imprisonment, Yosef began using that TV and VCR that was down there in the cell to force her to watch pornographic videos. And he also brought sex toys and whips down there. And Elizabeth continued to fight him every time he showed up for months and months. And to punish her, Yosef would starve her. And he left her naked and alone, chained up in the cellar. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about this cellar. There was no heat. There was no ventilation. It was damp mildewy like the walls were dripping it smelled fucking awful and in the winter the room would be slimy and wet and it would get down to negative 10 degrees celsius or 50 degrees fahrenheit and she would just be left there desperately trying to wrap up in a sheet to keep warm she was just stuck there naked and starving so yosef had this study slash workshop and a shelf hid the door into the cellar so you open the shelf on hinges and you have to crawl through this small door then you went into a room full of shelves like storage And then you went through long hallways. The doors were all varying sizes. Some you had to crawl through. Some you could walk through. The ceilings in each little room were at different heights. Very disorienting. And the cellar was only 380 square feet. And there were like eight locked doors between the regular house and Elizabeth. Later, he expanded the cellar and added more rooms. But we'll get to that later. And for Christmas that first year, the family ate a lovely meal in front of the fire and talked about how selfish it was that Elizabeth didn't even call home to say Merry Christmas while Elizabeth was actually chained up just a few feet away from them, trying to wrap herself in a dirty sheet to stay warm. It's horrifying. Spring 1985, seven or eight months into captivity, Yosef decided that the big chain was getting in his way. It was cramping his style. So instead, he removed the chain and installed a gigantic metal door with a combination lock that only Yosef knew the combination for, of course. And he added a shit ton more manual locks to the door, just for good measure. And he told Elizabeth that the door was rigged, and if she tried to open it, she would be electrocuted and gassed to death. That's something I hear about in a lot of these long-term kidnapping cases. Like, not only are these victims legitimately locked up, 
But their captors always seem to add in that psychological aspect to their entrapment too. Like if you try to go out there, something even worse is going to happen to you. Like the Colleen Stan case, the girl in the box with being threatened with the company that would come and kill her and her family if she tried to escape. It's so fucking scary. In August 1986, one year in, Elizabeth woke up and said, oh shit. She felt different. Her body felt different. And then when her period failed to come, she realized she was pregnant. She tried to keep it a secret from Yosef, but one day he came down there and said that he knew she was pregnant because her temperature was higher than normal. Barf. And he said to her, quote, you should be happy. I've given you the gift of a child, end quote. I'm filled with rage. But 10 weeks into the pregnancy, Elizabeth miscarried alone and terrified in the cellar. Elizabeth luckily survived with no medical care, but later she said that that experience changed her life forever. Her second winter in the cellar came, and this winter brought a shitload of rats. As if things can't get worse. Now there's fucking rats. And that winter, Elizabeth fell completely hopeless, very depressed, lost her will to live, lost the ability to cry. She slept most of the day and night, didn't really give a shit what time of day it was or what day it was. And she thought daily of suicide. She lived in constant fear of another pregnancy because her father refused to use contraception. January 1988, Elizabeth was pregnant again. Seven months into this pregnancy, she begged Yosef for a book on childbirth so that she could learn how to deliver this baby on her own in the cellar. And he did eventually cave, and he gave Elizabeth a book on childbirth from the 1960s. And Elizabeth spent the remainder of her pregnancy, like, just pouring over that book, trying to figure out how she was going to do this herself. Reading about how to get through the birth, how to clamp and cut the umbilical cord, how to breathe through the contractions. I mean, this woman, I, I mean, I obviously can't even begin. I can't speak to what I would do or how I would react to any of this, obviously. But if I had to guess, it wouldn't be this well, you know? Like the baby is coming whether she's ready or not. But the fact that she's like, okay, I have to do this. Let's become an expert on childbirth. I mean, fucking incredible. All Yosef gave her for the birth was a pair of dirty scissors, one extra blanket, and one package of diapers that he bought from many towns away. He's just like, good luck. Elizabeth boiled the scissors in the dark in a pot on the stove. And almost exactly four years, four years into her captivity, she went through the entire birth alone in the dark, slimy cellar, cut and clamped the umbilical cord herself, and then held her newborn daughter, Kirsten. And they were alone in there for 10 days. He just left them down there for 10 days, just completely didn't give a shit what was going on down there. And Kirsten was Yosef's eighth child, birthed by his fourth child. <gasps> Horrible. And Elizabeth went through a huge shift when Kirsten was born. The suicidal urges went away. Suddenly she had something to live for and she accepted like, okay, this is my fate. I'm here. I can't get out. I have to raise this kid. So she just settled into her new normal and put all of her energy into that baby. It also reminds me of that other long-term abduction case, J.C. Lee Dugard. And I read her book and you should also read that book. It's incredibly written and like changed me as a person after reading that. But she was held for 14 years in a shed in that guy's backyard. And she had two children and raised them in that shed and like homeschooled them and taught them to read and write and just made do because she had to. Elizabeth pretty much did the same. Upstairs, Yosef and Rosemary were not getting along great. And Yosef was spending extra time down in the cellar with his underground family. And he was confiding in Elizabeth with like the trouble in his marriage upstairs. And he really tried to convince himself that like Elizabeth really loved him. This was just his other family, his basement family. It's fucking sick. And Yosef would even photograph both families. And years later when all the shit went down and everything was found out, the police found that photo album. And it was like the first half was this colorful, happy upstairs family. And the second half was this like pale, dark, sickly basement family. It's so horrifying. I've never heard of anything so crazy. And police found that photo album and they were like, what the fuck? Anyway, 1989. Just before Kirsten turned one, Elizabeth fell pregnant again. This time she gave birth to a boy named Stefan. And he was also born with no medical help in the cellar. With a toddler just hanging out while she gave birth to her second child in this prison. Two years later, 1992, Elizabeth gave birth to another child, a daughter named Lisa. And Lisa was born healthy, but eight months after she was born, she began crying and would not stop crying. Elizabeth was worried about what Yosef would do because he had already punched Stefan in the face for being too noisy when he was two. 
And now she's got this helpless baby screaming and crying and she was worried about what Yosef would do about it. But eventually Elizabeth wore Yosef down and she begged him to take Lisa for medical care. So instead of being a good person and just taking the baby straight to the hospital, instead he put her in a cardboard box and under cover of darkness just left her on his own doorstep. And he forced Elizabeth to write another letter saying, hey, still at the cult, but now I have this baby and I can't care for her, so now you need to. Elizabeth's 10-year-old sister, Doris, found the baby and brought her inside. And Doris is like the baby's sister and aunt. Anyway, she brings the baby in. Yosef takes her straight to children's services. He showed them the letter and the baby. And he's like, this is my granddaughter. And you should confirm that this is Elizabeth's daughter by having the handwriting on this letter analyzed. And children's services was like, that sounds like a great idea. No, they don't want to check his DNA or the baby's DNA or anything. They just took Yosef's word for it. So everyone just agreed that Elizabeth just was in a cult and gave up this baby. And they were like, Yosef, you can take this baby and you can raise this baby. And Yosef and Rosemary, because they were fostering the baby, began getting 400 euros a month from the government. Baby Lisa was taken to the hospital. It turns out she had a heart defect. They did emergency surgery and she made a full recovery. And she just went home to go live with the upstairs family. With her father, who she believed was her grandfather. <laughs> In December 1994, another baby was left on the doorstep of number 40 Yipstrasse. Because that plan had worked so well two years prior. And Rosemarie found this baby on the porch. Luckily, she found her quickly because it was December. This baby also had another letter written by Elizabeth explaining that this baby's name was Monica. And that, again, Elizabeth was unable to care for this baby, so you have to do it. As soon as Rosemarie brought the baby inside, her phone started ringing. And when she answered it, it was a pre-recorded message from Elizabeth verbally explaining the same stuff that was in the letter. And Rosemarie was pretty weirded out because Yosef had just recently changed their phone number and they hadn't given the number out yet. So only Yosef and Rosemarie knew the new number. So she was like, how did Elizabeth know our new number? Huh. Oh, well, I personally don't think Rosemarie knew what was really going on. I think she really was just so beaten down and afraid of Yosef that she was just kind of trained to not question things, you know? So Yosef and Rosemarie took baby Monica in. They got another 400 euros tacked on to their monthly assistance. And nobody questioned how Elizabeth was able to just walk out of a cult and drop off two different babies onto their doorstep and not be seen. Yosef knew it was only a matter of time before Elizabeth became pregnant again. <sighs> Which makes me want to just barf. So he expanded the cellar. Dude, maybe stop having babies with your captive daughter. What the fuck is happening? I don't know if it was an obsession with having a bunch of kids or if it was the money he was getting or what. It's nuts. It's nuts. Kirsten was seven. Stefan was three. Lisa and Monica were upstairs. And he expanded the cellar from 380 square feet to 590 square feet. And he built more rooms. He upgraded them to have finally hot water for the first time ever. So now the kids had a place to sleep. They had running warm water. And Yosef and Elizabeth had their own bedroom to share. Ugh. And they got wall lights. They got a dining table and chairs. They got a fridge. But it was still a wet, stinky, nasty, horrible cellar. It's awful. And the kids, having never seen daylight ever or breathed fresh air, were sick all the time. Constant flu symptoms, even seizures sometimes. But Yosef could only be bothered to give them an aspirin once in a while and be like, oh, you'll be fine. Sometimes Yosef would bring Lisa and Monica down to visit the basement family and visit with their real mother and their siblings. But then when Lisa started talking, he had to stop because he couldn't have Lisa babble to the upstairs family that there was a basement family. And Elizabeth told him to stop bringing Monica too, as much as it hurt her, because it was way too difficult for Kirsten and Stefan to see their two siblings get to go upstairs when they couldn't. It's so unimaginable. It doesn't sound real. This is an absolute nightmare. But Elizabeth, despite everything being a fucking nightmare, was just powering through. She was basically homeschooling Kirsten and Stefan. She taught them to read and write and do math. She homeschooled them to the best of her abilities. She even gave them exams and tracked their progress. And they had a TV and they were watching the news and they would watch documentaries and they were learning about the outside world that they had never seen. And Yosef was still using that TV when he would come down and force Elizabeth to watch pornographic movies and then act them out. And I mean, it's a very small cellar. Some sources say that this went on in front of the children. 
as a way for Yosef to humiliate Elizabeth and scar the children. He might be the worst person ever. Yosef was feeding the downstairs family in secret. He would drive way out of town. He would buy groceries that were mostly shelf-stable. And then he would sneak it down there at night. And Elizabeth was cooking three meals a day for her family. And for the holidays, Elizabeth would make decorations out of paper. And if she could convince Yosef to go buy the ingredients, she would make the kids birthday cakes on their birthdays. She was just trying to maintain a routine, a schedule, make things as normal as she possibly could in her situation. But the kids hated it when their father would join them because he was scary as fuck. And he was abusive and he screamed all the time. And he was abusing Elizabeth, beating her and hitting the children. And he would ruin Christmas by coming downstairs dressed like Krampus, just to make things worse. I gotta ruin Christmas too. Oh, and by the way, Yosef still at this point was coming downstairs to rape Elizabeth twice a day. And in 1995, Elizabeth was pregnant again. But this time her belly got very large very quickly and her body felt very different. And based on the movements she was feeling, she believed she was pregnant with twins. And she was right. So she mentally prepared herself to deliver twins by herself in that cellar. But come on! And in April 1996, this time, Yosef came down and sat with the children while Elizabeth screamed in pain, giving birth to twins on the floor. But Elizabeth managed to deliver twin boys. But shortly after, one of the twins, baby Michael, began wheezing and his legs went rigid and he wouldn't feed. The next day, he was worse. So Elizabeth begged Yosef to get her son medical care. But for whatever reason, this time, Yosef said no and told her, whatever will be, will be. And then he just left her down there with the sick baby and all the other children to go up and be with his upstairs family. And on May 1st, 1996, baby Michael passed away. And Elizabeth held her baby's body wrapped in a blanket for 24 hours, waiting for Yosef to come back and help her. But when Yosef finally showed up, he took the baby's body and incinerated it. And he said to her, quote, maybe he would have been disabled. Who knows? Maybe this was a good thing, end quote. And then he left again. I mean... Talk about a heartless monster. August 1997, another baby was found on Yosef and Rosemary's doorstep. Alexander, the surviving twin. He was 15 months old and he was again taken in by the upstairs family and everybody would comment on Alexander's hair and his appearance and how he looked just like his grandfather. Ugh. In 2002, Elizabeth gave birth to her seventh child, a little boy named Felix. And Yosef was 71 years old at this point. So Yosef had seven children in his upstairs family. And then he had seven children with his daughter down in the basement family. By this point, Kirsten was 14, Stefan was 12, and Yosef was starting to be threatened by his downstairs family. They were getting big enough that they could, you know, start to fight back and try to get out. They were going to be adults soon, you know? Like, what the fuck are you planning to do, my dude? So he was trying to figure out how he could integrate his basement family into the real world upstairs. Plus, Felix, the youngest, he was Yosef's favorite. He thought Felix was awesome, and he wanted to raise Felix to be his, like, protege, to take over all the family businesses, to keep Yosef's legacy alive. So he wanted him to go to good schools and be raised in the upstairs real world. He wanted to give Felix the best life ever. Okay, asshole. So Yosef started buying a bunch of property, and he was going to start new businesses and he was going to give everyone in his basement family jobs. And he'd be like, oh, look, my cult daughter came home and brought all of her children and I took them in and gave them all jobs because I'm an amazing person. And he was so confident that Elizabeth was totally under his control and that she would go along with the storyline. In 2007, Yosef evicted all of the tenants in his apartments and he informed them all that his daughter and her children were coming home and they were going to need to live in those apartments. So you all need to... Get out. And as soon as they were out, he knocked down interior walls and turned the apartment complex into like a big family home. And he was just going to move Elizabeth and the kids up into that. Yosef then had Elizabeth write yet another letter, this time saying, I'm ready to come home from my cult. So I'm coming home with my children. Get ready. So Yosef planned to bring the basement family up halfway through 2008. But in March 2008, Kirsten got really, really sick. She was now 19 years old, and she came down with this sickness that was like a raging fever, cold sweats, coughing, and losing consciousness. Yosef thought she would just get better with a little aspirin, but she didn't, and then she began having seizures. So Elizabeth started begging him 
to save Kirsten's life and take her for medical care. So Yosef's like, okay, I guess I have to pull the trigger on my plans early. And in April 2008, Rosemarie was out of town on a vacay in Italy. So he took advantage of her being gone and brought them up. Yosef and Elizabeth carried Kirsten's unconscious body upstairs and put her in Yosef's bed. It was the first time Kirsten had been upstairs in her 19 years of life. And Elizabeth hadn't been upstairs in 24 years. But all she could think about was her sick daughter and her two sons that were cowering in fear in the cellar alone for the first time ever. So she made Yosef promise to get Kirsten to the hospital and then she ran back downstairs to be with her sons. And it took an hour and a half, but Yosef got Kirsten to the hospital. Why did he wait? I don't know. He's a dick, I guess. Some sources say she was taken by ambulance. Some sources say Yosef drove her himself. Some sources say that him and Elizabeth put Kirsten in his car and he just let her sit in there for a while before taking her. I guess that's not really important, but he did get her to the hospital. He told the hospital staff that this was his granddaughter that he had never seen before in his life. And she just showed up sick. And the hospital staff was totally shocked because this girl did not look 19. She looked more like his daughter, not his granddaughter. She only had a few teeth left. They were mostly rotted out of her head. She was incredibly pale and thin. She had like a bunch of white hair. She did not look 19, but they got to work running tests. Yosef left, ran down to Elizabeth, had her write another letter, this time describing Kirsten's symptoms. And when he got back to the hospital, Yosef was ambushed by Kirsten's doctor, demanding to know like, what the heck happened to this girl? Kirsten was in a medically induced coma. She was experiencing kidney failure and a slew of other illnesses due to a severe vitamin D deficiency. But Yosef didn't give the doctor any helpful information and just gave him the letter that Elizabeth had written. Because if he told the doctor the truth, <laughs> straight to jail, the fantasy's over. The doctor got a super weird vibe from Yosef and his weird cult story. And how he was like, well, I've never seen this girl before, but I'm confident she's my granddaughter. It was all very strange. But at the time, the doctor was just focused on saving this girl's life. But three days later, when things had calmed down a little and Kirsten was sort of stabilized in her coma, the doctor decided to call the police. And in a pretty slick move by the doctor, he told the cops that he suspected that Kirsten had been poisoned. And the only way to save her was to have the cops track down Elizabeth and arrest her so that he could get information on what happened to this girl so he could save her life. The same day, a warrant was issued for Elizabeth's arrest, and the police made a public plea on the news for Elizabeth to show herself at the hospital to save her daughter. Elizabeth was accused of grievous bodily harm through neglect, abusing or neglecting a minor, and abandoning an injured person. Yosef was questioned further by police about Kirsten and about Elizabeth's whereabouts. So he showed them the letter that Elizabeth had written saying, oh, I'm about ready to leave my cult. I'm coming home with my three kids. And one of the police officers saw the postage on that letter, and it showed that it was dropped in a mailbox in Kemmaten, I'm sure I said that wrong. It was eight miles from Amstetten. So that cop went and got the other letters that Elizabeth had written, like the one that was given to the doctor that explained Kirsten's symptoms. And he brought these letters to a man named Manfred Wolfhard. And this guy was a cult expert. And Manfred looked at these letters and he said they were very suspicious and that in the letters, Elizabeth never gave any details about the cult that she had lived in for 24 years. And he said that he had no knowledge of any cults in the areas around where the postage was marked from. And the cults that he knew about in Austria at the time would not just let a woman leave to drop off her children at the grandparents' doorstep and then just come back. They would not be cool with her sending children away, sick or not. That's just not cult practice. Cults want the kids. The kids are the future of the cult. So Manfred told the police, you need to look into this Yosef guy. It's super suspicious. He seems like a dick. And the only reason anyone believes any of this cult business is because it all came from Yosef. It was all his word. Everyone had just taken Yosef's word for everything for the past 24 years. It was time to question him. Manfred Wolfhard is a goddamn hero. So Kirsten is in the hospital. Rosemarie rushed home from Italy. Family members rushed to the Fritzl home to help and support them. Rosemarie is running back and forth between Kirsten's bedside and to take care of the grandkids. Cops are coming in and out, questioning the family. Elizabeth, Stefan, and Felix are still cowering, hiding in the cellar, waiting for news, waiting for Yosef to come back. And Yosef is just totally calm unbothered, and he went right back to working on his building projects and touring new properties that he was thinking about purchasing. Then Elizabeth downstairs sees the plea for her to go to the hospital on the TV. And the cops are calling Yosef nonstop, demanding he give DNA 
to prove that Kirsten was his granddaughter. And he would tell them, nah, I'm too busy. I have work. And then when Yosef would go down to the cellar, Elizabeth was begging him to let her go to the hospital so she could save Kirsten's life. And eventually, Elizabeth wore him down. But he told Elizabeth he wouldn't allow Elizabeth to be questioned without him being present. And he made her promise she would stick to the cult story. One week after Kirsten was admitted to the hospital, Yosef brought clean, fresh clothes down to Elizabeth and the two boys. And then he brought the three of them out of the steel door, through the tiny door in his study concealed by a shelf, and up to number 40 Yipstrasse, and into an upstairs bedroom for the night. And then in the morning, he just casually walked them out and introduced them to the rest of the family. And then he called Kirsten's doctor and said, well, my daughter just came back from the cult, just like I said she would. And they set up a time to meet. But when Yosef and Elizabeth met with the doctor, they didn't give him any additional information that could help. And as soon as they left the room with the doctor, they were swarmed with police and Elizabeth was arrested. And both Yosef and Elizabeth were taken in for questioning. At first, Yosef demanded that they stay together, but the cops were like, hey, fuck you. And they separated the two of them and questioned them. At first, Elizabeth very quietly and timidly stuck to the cult story. But then the cops told her, listen, if you don't tell us what's really going on, we're going to take your kids away from you and you're going to jail. And Elizabeth told them, if you promise me that I will never see my father again, I'll tell you everything. They agreed to protect her from Yosef and she spilled everything that she's been sexually abused by her father since she was 11 years old, that he locked her in that cellar that he built to imprison her when she was 18 years old, that she had been down there for 24 years, and that all seven children that were born down there were Yosef's. As a result of what was estimated to be over 3,000 rapes over those 24 years. Can you imagine the jaws on those cops just dropping? And they believed that at least something insane had gone on because Elizabeth looked old as hell too. She had no teeth left. She was incredibly frail and pale. She had white hair. She looked more like a grandma and she was only 41. It's fucked. So then the cops went next door and arrested Yosef. One of the cops went to the Fritzl home and picked up Stefan and Felix. And the detective said he was very overwhelmed watching Felix and Stefan walking outside for the first time ever. Stefan was amazed by the streetlights. And then he pointed at the moon and asked, is that where God lives? The next day, they collected DNA from Josef Fritzl. Media swarmed the Fritzl home. And teams of investigators were pouring over number 40 Yipstrasse. But they weren't able to get into the locked cellar. Luckily, Elizabeth, Rosemary, and the children were all being cared for in a psychiatric and medical facility. And they were shielded from the cameras and the press going crazy for them. And things were going okay at first, but eventually Elizabeth became very upset watching Lisa, Monica, and Alexander call Rosemary mama. And she asked Rosemary to leave. After Yosef had been arrested, he gave up the codes to the electronic locks. And investigators went in, and what they found was obviously... Shocking. And the air in the cellar was so horrible because there was no ventilation and there was a family held hostage down there for 24 years. And it was so full of mold and bacteria and insects and rats that the investigators were only able to go down into the cellar in three hour increments. That's how disgusting it was in there. They spend their days doing nasty shit at crime scenes and they could only handle being down there in three hour shifts. And that family lived down there for over two decades. It's not only did they find the terrible living conditions, but they also found a whole bunch of sex toys, handcuffs, whips, photographs of unknown naked young girls and women, rohypnol tablets, some typed smutty stories, presumably written by Yosef, that were like erotic stories about a widow's sexual experiences with dogs and weird shit. They found a weird story that was written that was called Imaginary Conversations Between a Whore and a Slave. His words. And they also found a photocopy of a journal that a female tenant had written. So she lived in Yosef Apartments. So presumably Yosef had broken in to her unit and stolen her journal and photocopied it because he's a freaking creeper. I mean, they found so much stuff. There's so much more. They found so much horrible stuff. When Yosef was questioned about why the fuck he did this, and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? He said, quote, I'm no monster. Kirsten would be dead if it weren't for me. I'm the one that got her to the hospital. I could have killed them all. End quote. 
What a great guy. He also said that the only reason that he imprisoned Elizabeth was because she was a drug addict and he needed to protect her from herself. Well, isn't she lucky? (laughs) And when he was pressed about why he raped his own daughter, he claimed that she had come on to him and he claimed that their relationship was completely consensual. No, he also said that Elizabeth never complained, even when her teeth fell out one by one and she had chronic pain and she couldn't sleep but she never complained. He may have forced her to live in the basement, but everything else, everything else was consensual. He showed no remorse. He took no accountability. He blamed Elizabeth. And oh, oh, he even said that the reason he didn't use condoms or any contraception was because Elizabeth wouldn't let him because she would have felt less. Number one, he's the absolute worst. Number two, what woman has ever fucking said that? And number three, fuck off. Okay, so listen, they had the seller and all the evidence. They had Elizabeth's side of the story. They had all these freaking kids as a result of incest. They knew Yosef was a piece of shit. They knew he was super guilty, open and shut. But the prosecutors just needed to make sure that they put Yosef away for as long as possible, right? But at the time in Austria, there was only a one-year sentence associated with incest only a 15-year sentence for rape, and there was a super old slavery law on the books, but even that was only a 20-year sentence. But a neonatologist was able to prove that the twin, baby Michael, the one that died in Yosef incinerated in the oven, they were able to confirm that Michael could have been saved had Yosef taken him to the hospital. So they were able to charge him with murder. I don't care what the charges are. I love that they were just like, we'll tack on whatever we can to get him locked up for as long as possible. And in November 2009, Josef Fritzl was officially charged with murder of baby Michael, slavery, rape, deprivation of liberty, coercion, and incest. Josef at trial denied everything until they played Elizabeth's videotaped testimony to the court in front of Josef. And something in him broke, I guess. And he cried like a baby. And then the next day he confessed to everything. He said watching Elizabeth's video made him realize how cruel he had been to her. But even after confessing, he still believed that he was going to get a really small prison sentence and that he was going to be able to just go home and live the rest of his life out with his family. And he was just going to get to live out his days with his wonderful wife, Rosemarie. Like, dude, be for real. He was found guilty of all charges and he was sentenced to life in prison plus 51 years. And he's at a high security psychiatric prison in Krems. And he remains there to this day. There were talks of moving him to a regular prison for the rest of his sentence. But as of this recording, that hasn't happened yet. Yosef wrote two books from prison because of course he did. The first in 2011 called I'm No Monster. Ew. And more recently, he wrote a book with his lawyer called The Abysses of Yosef F. A look into his sick, sick mind, I guess. And he's pushing 90 now, but he's still like, I can't believe that my wife, Rosemarie, just disappeared. I can't believe she cut off all contact. That's so weird. Well, I can't wait to be free and reunited with my family. I can't wait to experience freedom again. Like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? How delusional can you be? Hopefully he dies soon. Elizabeth Fritzl is now in her late 50s. And her and her children are given new names, new identities, and they live in the Austrian countryside, and they have never given interviews, living their lives in private, and I hope that they can find some peace and happiness without Josef Fritzl in their lives. The village that they live in is secret and protected. It's known as Village X, and it's constantly under security surveillance, and if any stranger even approaches the village, they get arrested. Many people believe that Elizabeth survived because of her children. Like they gave her a reason to live and she threw herself into desperately trying to teach them and create some sort of normalcy. Without them, it would have been difficult or impossible to survive what she went through. But I think we can all agree that Elizabeth is a very strong, incredible woman and that Josef Fritzl is a rotten piece of garbage and he's a waste of space and resources. And I hope Elizabeth and her children, wherever they are, are able to have a happy, healthy life without him. And that is the end of today's true crime story. And it is a doozy. (sighs) Let's all take a deep breath. In case you missed it, I offer both the cleaning and crime version of every story and the crime only version of every story and the podcast version of every story. So choose whichever medium you find best for you. 
and be sure to check out the Instagram post that goes along with this episode. So in case you're listening to the podcast version, you can go there to see the photos that I included in this video. Just so you know, I am off on yet another vacation. I told you this summer is completely crazy. I am headed to Florida to visit my sister. So I will be back with a new episode in two weeks. So my next episode will be on August 7th. I hope you are all having an amazing summer. Thank you for listening to Cleaning and Crime. If you'd like more content from me or you want to see the cleaning side of things, check me out on YouTube or TikTok or follow my socials, all of which are under the same name, C. Elise. If you have any questions or case ideas to share, email me at cleanclean at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, and then you can see all the photos that I included on the video version of today's story. If you like what you heard, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. These episodes include my personal opinions, and all information is compiled by me using references that are publicly available. Sources are included in the show notes. All parties discussed are innocent until proven guilty. See you next time. Music